0: This is the Made For More Podcast. The health and wellness industry can be dogmatic and stagnant. We aim to explore what makes up the true essence of the human experience by discussing health, happiness, the human body, and what it truly means to be made for more. I'm your host, Jake Reynolds, along with co-host Lauren Sock and Mary Kathleen Toner. Today's episode of Made For More is sponsored by Functionize Health and Physical Therapy. Functionize Health and Physical Therapy provides modern wellness for the everyday athlete. Functionize is a private-pay physical therapy and wellness center serving active adults and athletes across the Greater Atlanta area. Built on the foundation of understanding human experience, offering practical solutions, and insisting on an individualized approach, Functionize empowers you to take control of your health and wellness today. So you may thrive and enjoy your best years ahead. You can find Functionize Health online at www.functionizehealth.com or call at 404 907 4196. Now, Made for More. Welcome, everybody, to the Made for More podcast. I am Jake Reynolds.
1: I'm Mary Kathleen and I'm Lauren Sock. Today, we welcome Dr. Ariella Friedman. Ariella is the owner and founder of Tree Consulting here in Atlanta. She's a certified positive discipline classroom educator and a Gallup certified strength coach. Welcome, Ariella. Thank you. So what I love about your story is there's so many twists and turns to your journey and how you started your own business. And what I love is that you were a high school teacher and Then you shifted into public health and became a professor at Emory. So before we get into what you're doing now with your current business, can you share your three-minute story about how it all began? Sure. Thank you. Um,
2: You know, it's funny when I think back on where I started, I really think about college. And I wanted to drop out of college because I was not feeling really engaged or interested in what we were doing. Um, And I, I spent a semester in Chicago and Learned a lot about urban studies and issues facing urban populations and was like, this is actually what I want to spend my time doing. And I, I thought about dropping out of college so that I could go live and work in the inner city. And my parents said, no, in this family, we finished college. <laughs> um, so I figured out a way to do that and uh, ended up teaching high school in Chicago for a couple of years. And I just loved it. Um, I taught English drama and debate. And uh, while I was a teacher, I I realized all of the issues that were facing my kids outside of the classroom that impacted their ability to get a quality education. And and that led me to public health. Um, I've never liked sick people, so thinking about health was never quite on my radar. But uh, public health became something that was a mix of education and psychology and lots of different tools you could bring together. So I got my master's in public health at the University of Minnesota, um, and My next job after that was as the Director of Health at Head Start in Minneapolis, and that's a real place where education and health live together, providing services for kids and families that need it most, Um, not just health, but education, social services, legal services, things like that. And I realized I wanted to design amazing programs, and I decided to get a PhD after that, came down here to go to Emory and uh, Rollins School of Public Health and got my PhD in behavioral sciences and health education. Like I said, I didn't do it because I wanted to be a professor. I did it because I wanted to design great programs. And that really gave me the the thinking skills on how to do that. Um, I was a professor for a couple years and realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. I had known that ahead of time. Um, But I felt myself spending a lot of time doing things that I wasn't really passionate about. And I wanted to spend time being a mom and doing art and having dinner parties and singing and doing all different kinds of things. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to do that from academia. Um, I I left. I worked at a very dysfunctional nonprofit for a year, um, which led me to realize what I really loved, um, which is being consultant. I love helping people make their ideas great or make their workplaces great. Um, And the biggest part of that is hearing your own voice and being true to yourself. You know, what is most important to you and how do you live out those values in your workplace, in your home, um, in the places you volunteer? So that was really what led me to start my business about seven years ago. And uh, it's evolved a lot since then. Um, But my thing that I do is is being a strengths coach and helping people really understand who they are in the world and how they want to be and how they want to do that. So
3: you left Emory um, to spend more time with your daughter and pursue some of the hobbies that you're more passionate about. And one of those is singing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I didn't know you were a singer.
2: Yes. um, I think I always wanted to sing when I was younger. I think I was just literally scared to hear my own voice. You know, there's nothing more you than your voice. Um, You know, like another instrument, you can say, "Okay, my flute is broken or my guitar needs new strings. But like, If your voice is broken, it's you. And there's a lot of things probably happening with that. Um, For me, for me, learning to sing and learning to feel comfortable singing has literally helped me hear my voice. You know, there's a lot of undoing that happens. And I, I think about the work that a lot of you do where there's tension that you hold in places that if you just let yourself do what you would do naturally, your voice comes through and clearly and beautifully and with strength. And we learn so many unhelpful habits over the years, whether that's in our bodies or voices, and, and it's, it's learning about freeing that. That's um, so, well, such a good analogy. Yeah, it, it's freeing. And, and I, think about, um, I think about this with voice and I think about this with the work I do in strengths that there's a Michelangelo quote about freeing, let me say this in a different way, there's a Michelangelo quote. Someone asked him how he created his sculptures. And what he said is, I don't make them. I'm actually freeing them from the stone.
1: Ooh. And I yeah, think about that,
2: that for ourselves too, which mm-hmm. is we need to free ourselves from the societal expectations, constraints, things we think we should be, even if we don't want to be those things, um, and just be ourselves. And that's how your voice comes through. That's how your strengths come through. That's how your your body can just do what it needs to do. Yeah. Um. I joined my synagogue chorus about seven years ago. So a lot of changes happened around at the same time. And I started taking voice lessons. I used to be so scared to even sing in warm ups, And I think now I sing solos and I'm still nervous as hell, but um, I do it because it's hard and I feel like I'm growing. Um, And I recorded uh, an EP, a mini EP. My friend started calling it Ariella's album. Uh, He's a (laughs) producer. I was like, I'm not making out an album. I'm just singing some songs. Um, but it turned into a mini album and I had a blast doing it. So I, I love to keep singing with my chorus, um, doing things on my own. I have a trio that I sing with the mamalas. Oh, that's um, cute. <laughs> yeah. Just continuing to make music with people. It's like my biggest happy place. So definitely the biggest source of joy in my life in terms of activities.
1: Well, and that's, you know, they always say that, you know, you don't have courage without fear. And so having that courage to find your voice and the fear of not thinking that you are good enough, it's, it's amazing that you overcame that and look where you are, right?
2: Well, and I think that's such an important point. Um, there's a Hebrew song. It's called, it's Kol Ha'Alam Kulo Gesher Uh It's All the World is a Narrow Bridge. Um, the second part of it has one translation, which is do not be afraid, but actually the real meaning of it is do not let fear hold you back. Mm -hmm. And that's a subtle, but really important difference. And I use this when I talk with my daughter, Elena, she's 11, which is, Hey, it's okay to be afraid. You know, I'm not going to tell you don't be afraid, but what I am going to say is do it anyway. Don't let fear hold you back from doing the things you most want to do. Um, And that's just been an important part of my life over the last few years is, okay, we're scared, but we're going to do it anyway, because that's how we grow.
0: So uh, I guess one thing is that I think Lauren and MK would probably wish that I was a little bit more nervous to sing out loud in front of people. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) you've heard of the greatest show, man, but uh, you've not heard of the worst show, man. Um, So I love the (laughs) the symbolism that you talked about was that singing was quite literally the way that you kind of found your, your voice, uh, and helped you overcome a lot of fears and, uh, whatnot. And I think that oftentimes the things that, uh, we've had to overcome or, or the things that have been challenges for us are things that ultimately help us help other people as well. And so it seems like that's a big passion for you, um, especially related to becoming a Gallup-certified strengths coach. Uh, can you elaborate as to is, is that maybe why you decided to do that? How, how has that journey kind of evolved you to help other people sort of find their voice?
2: That's a great question. Um, so among a few random things that I do, um, I'm, I'm still an adjunct professor at Emory, so I still teach in the School of Public Health. Um, and now I also do some coaching on the graduate school side of campus. Um, but a few years ago when I was teaching my class, my class is called Curriculum and Instruction. So <laughs> I teach master students how to teach. And we were using the Strength Finder assessment because I'd come across it. Um, and I said, let's use this to learn how to interview so that when you go on the job market, you have some concrete language around what you're great at and what you're passionate about. And my students really liked it, but I didn't really know what else to do with it. And they liked it so much that I was like, well, I wonder if they have a training program and I can learn how to use this tool better. And I, I looked it up online and Gallup has a whole certification program and I went and it was fantastic. Um, as an educator, I'm really picky about classes that I go to and Gallup stuff is just really well done. Um, so I became a strengths coach that way. I think the other part of it was coming from academia and coming from some really toxic places, I didn't feel great about myself and I didn't have good language to talk about myself. Um, I could feel myself going into a lot of shame places where I'm just, oh, I'm a terrible person because blah, blah, blah. Um, And that's not helpful. Um, And I've also, uh, I mean, I'd also say when I worked at the Really Toxic Nonprofit, I was really depressed. I mean, the kind of depressed where getting up out of bed in the morning and making a decision about Mm -hmm. which socks you're going to wear feels overwhelming. Um, I just felt so badly about myself. Um, and I think a lot of that was, I don't think I was valued for who I was. I think there was a bit of a model of people should look like this or people should be like this. Um, and that wasn't me. I'm not, I'm not a rule follower. Um, I like to challenge the status quo. I like to ask questions and I just was getting a lot of negative feedback about myself, not like productive, but like mean, Mm -hmm. mean girl kind of negative feedback. Um, and, and I could see a lot of other people in the workplace were feeling that way too, and in other workplaces. And it made me interested in how do we change that? Um, Gallup's model is really about workplace environment. It's not just about empowering individuals. It's actually a performance improvement model. And it's built on positive psychology and talking about what's right with people instead of what's wrong with them. Um, and any, anyone who's been in a doctoral program knows that mostly what you hear about is what's wrong with you. Um, and that's not, that's not the most helpful way to learn about yourself and to feel inspired to be better. So um, I, I've just found it to be a really helpful tool for me for understanding myself and for helping other people empower themselves with what they're great at and also understanding the drawbacks of that in the ways when you're overusing it and it's not helping you.
1: Well, you know, we kind of, found you when I was looking for doing a team building for our team here at Functionize. And I think that was about two years ago. And I wanted somebody I had done the strength finders test and I wanted somebody that could help me understand it more. Um, So we came to you, you know, as a team to try to figure it out and find our talents, be more productive. And like you said, I mean, as a society, we're always looking at people's negatives. We tend as a boss, we tend to look at negatives instead of positives. And I just didn't want that kind of culture within my business So it was really empowering for me to be able to do that and motivate my staff differently. And maybe you can speak to this kind of of how, how, what the test is and, and the kind of five strengths that typically you find with each person and then how people can tune up and tune down those strengths to be, um, you know, in different situations so they can be more productive.
2: Yeah. Great. Um, So Gallup's test takes about 20 minutes and the way that it's designed, the way that it's designed is that there are two words on either side and you need to put your answer in, are you more like this one or are you more like this one? Um, And after a series of questions, it gives you back the results of your top five strengths. Um, And there are actually 34 strengths, but it gives you back just your top five. Um, You can also get the full list of 34 if you're curious. And the, those five strengths or any of those strengths, um, the strengths are grouped into four main categories. So executing, uh, that's the getting things done. Um, people with a lot of executing strengths like to be alone and just get their work done. Um, a lot of those people have done great in this pandemic um, if they've had space <laughs> and time to work. And a lot of those um, working parents with their children at home have had a very hard time with that. Um, the next category is influencing. So The joke in my house is I actually have three of my top five in influencing and none in executing, so I don't actually do anything. I just get other people to do it, (laughs) which as a consultant, there is some truth to. I like working with people to get things done, so that's more people-oriented towards getting things done. Um, The next category is relationship building, so those are people who enjoy building deep relationships with people, um, not trying to get anything done, but with the focus on the connection and the meaning of the relationship. And then the last category is strategic thinking. So people who enjoy having time to sit and think and process ideas. What I love about Gallup's model and what I love about the Clifton Strengths model is that it's not like you fit in any one of those boxes. We're all a mix of those things. And to varying degrees, some of us have get a lot of energy from one thing and less energy from something else. So it's not just what you're good at, it's what you're drawn to and what you love doing. Um, so in helping people hear their voices, I do a lot of work with people around trying to figure out what what job do you want to do? What kind of environment would be good for you? What would feed your strengths? What would, uh, what would offend your strengths? What might drive you crazy? Um, and so the other thing that I want to say about it, what you're asking about was about dialing up and down your strengths. Um, so, okay, Lauren, you want to talk about your individualization strength? Do you want to talk about what that is and (laughs) how that looks for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so two, two, you know, strengths of mine that are in conflict with each other quite often are my individualization strength, which is looking at each person individually and tending to their needs and wanting to be there for them and kind of allowing them to shine for who they are. But then I have my analyzer strength, which I love can I, numbers. Can I correct so I love... you on
2: that one? So it's can I correct you yeah. on that one? So that one's analytical.
1: Yes, sorry, sorry. analytical. <laughs> so my analytical strength is all about looking at numbers. I love numbers. I love seeing what drives the business forward. And so I but what weighs heavy on me more is the individualization because I want everybody to be happy. But a lot of times I have to go back and look at the numbers and say, okay, well, the business needs this to happen. So we've got to change. I might not be able to be there for you to meet that need that you want because the business needs to move forward. And this is in the best interest of the business. So I'm constantly in conflict of kind of being the mama of the team, but then driving that business and looking at the numbers and where we're heading. Yeah, that's a great... So that's tough sometimes, you know, when you've got to have those hard decisions with staff and be like, I'm sorry, but we got to move in a different direction.
2: Yeah, that's a great explanation of those two. And, you know, you can see the spaces where individualization is really helping you when you're in a pandemic and needing to focus on how each person's doing. And then you're in a pandemic and you need to focus on (laughs) the bottom line of your business. Um, A lot of times there's tension when two of our strengths are in conflict with each other. And oftentimes being able to name that tension and that friction can be really helpful in moving forward. Being able to say, on the one hand, I'm really trying to meet the needs of each of the people on my team. On the other hand, I'm also trying to make sure we can all get paid. Let me think about how I can navigate those things. Um, So there's another layer to strengths, which is really interesting. Um, Actually, let me say something else before I say that. So you can see that once you're clear on what it is you're trying to do, you can dial up or down a strength. You might say, in this situation, today's a business day and I am focused on the numbers and that's the strength I'm going to tune into most. And then you can say, okay, you know, we're going to set aside time on Mondays where I'm going to meet with each of you individually and see what you need. And that's going to happen on this day. And sometimes when things have their places, they can be in balance and that can be helpful. Right The other thing that can be really helpful is thinking about what deeper values guide you and the values are actually underneath and then the strengths are what help you carry out those values um, mm-hmm. so okay. there's some really interesting strengths like individualization let's take individualization like you were talking about um, which really tunes into the needs of each person in a situation and then another strength called consistency so the way consistency
1: works is I think that's Jake's that's Jake's strength yeah. <laughs>
2: So, so, all right. So what does consistency look like for you?
0: Um, and I was just thinking about this in terms of, okay, where do I find conflict? So for me, consistency is, uh, personally enjoying the ability to have everything every single day be the same. I come in with the same attitude every single day. Um, I preach consistency to my clients. I think that consistency yields, um, the small victories, which end up creating a large win, um, especially when it comes to something like uh, health and fitness and function. Um, And I like for, and this is probably a weakness, is for things to kind of always be status quo. Um, But where that's in conflict for me is on the analytical side of my brain, I'm always thinking about, well, where can things be better or how, is, how am I not being the best, or how is something influencing our consistency, which kind of puts those two things in conflict where it's the, the need to analyze and change something that's not working, but then also trying to remain consistent. So uh, I would like to hear probably your definition of, of consistency and how that kind of, maybe the broad stroke of that, how that applies to most most people and businesses and situations.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it, which is, I like the things to be the same. Um, my curiosity is what, what's the value that's under that? So what value does consistency serve? Like if things um, are the same every day, then what?
0: You, it's predictable. You know, that when you things, are. when things aren't arising or when things aren't going the way they ought to be, well, you can very easily say, okay, well, if, if if the status quo is consistent what's the thing that's influencing our consistency and so i think some of that is predictability and it's easy to manage when something's consistent
2: mhm so maybe there's something about efficiency in there sure okay i think there's something else though like what else is that you know if people do what they're supposed to do every day and every day's you know looks the same what else
0: uh probably less conflict
2: maybe it's easy to control yeah Easy to control. So there's- That would be me. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways there might be something of, it takes less brain power or less energy from me so I can focus on the important things. Mm. So it's maybe still a bit of efficiency too. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I also wonder if there's uh, an element of, it gets you to your goal. Like there's a belief that if we do this, if we keep things the same and and we do things the way we're supposed to do them and show up in the same ways- we will get to our goal. Like, so there's, there's a destination focus. There's a destination focus. And then there's also a focus on what the process or what that journey feels like. Yeah. So Lauren, when you think about individualization, what's the value underneath that for you? I,
1: I want everybody to shine. Like I want everybody to show their brightest colors. And I think for me, um, I don't, I never want to be the one that shines. I'd rather have people around me shine and me be the one in the background. Cuz I never was I never was the I was never the top performer or never I was just the one that was steady and consistent. Mm-hmm. So I think if I if I le- lift people up, then they'll be able to be their best selves and I'm just kind of in the background helping them get there.
0: Can yeah, I elaborate or maybe chime in on that yeah. too? I think that one of the values of that is yeah. you're not making a, a square peg fit around hole. You know, oftentimes in a business or a job, we try to take somebody and make them into what we want them to be or put them in a, a situation in which uh, they are going to fit into this box of, you know where we need them to be versus you're probably going to have a much more robust and profitable business if you allow people to, Harp on their strengths and be who they are, um, and you're just kind of they're they're playing within the confines of the the maybe the rules or, or the the job title and job role, but they can do where where their strengths lie.
1: Yeah, what's your thought on that, Lauren? No, I think that's true. I think my staff would tell you, <laughs> I will say to them, like, you know, what do you want to do? Like, what what are you passionate about? And let's make that happen. Um, and and I try to look to create those opportunities so they can find their passion, but also be their best self. I mean, that's truly like, I want people, and that's with my patients too, right? I want them to be their best selves and it's kind of diving deeper into what their values are and how we're going to help them get there. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Well, and I also wonder in the consistency of routine um, if another value underneath that is that's how you get to your best self if you are consistent and you follow the plan. Yeah, true. So it's the same it's the same value but a really different way of getting there based on what your strengths are. And so right. it's a way that can be really helpful which is, you know, why are you doing everything different for every person? Well, because I believe that that's what it takes for each person to get to be their best self. Why are you mm-hmm. doing everything the same way for everybody? Because that's what I believe it takes for each person to get to their best self. Mm. So when you really understand those things and you understand what's underneath the behavior, you can move people towards a place of common understanding because a lot of times we have the same values. We just act them out in very different ways. We operationalize okay. them in different ways in the world. So that's why
1: that's why we work well together, Jake. <laughs> the values are there. We just think differently. and that But that works well together because... It's two different approaches, and patients like that. I mean, we do share patients, so like our patients like that—that that there is that consistency, but also that deep diving into who they really are.
2: And it's a great way to be able to balance strengths. You know, we we touched on this a little bit, but if you think of each strength like a dial, sometimes you need more of one strength, and sometimes you need less of it. Um, so if you think of a strength like empathy, empathy is a relationship building strength, and it's all about. Tapping into each individual's feelings in the moment. Now, if there was an emergency and somebody was lying on the ground, is that a time to really dial up your empathy and see how everybody's feeling around there? Or is that more of an achiever kind of strength where you might say, this is the time that I need to say, you call 911, you do this. Like, I don't actually care about your feelings in this moment. I just need to save this person. So it's very context dependent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you have the language around the strengths, you can start to talk to yourself through the lens of strengths and say, what do I actually need here? What do I need more of? What do I need less of? Um, and you can also talk to each other. So when there's friction, if it's something like, hey, I feel that you are changing a lot of things up right now and it's driving me nuts. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. that doesn't always feel great to hear that. But if you could say, listen, I really appreciate the drive of your individualization to tailor things towards each person in the group. But right now, my consistency is feeling a little stressed out by that. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about it through the lens of strengths, it doesn't feel shaming. It doesn't feel upsetting. It's just, oh, you see me. You get me. Yeah, I can dial that down for you and, you know, try to keep things a little bit more the same now. Or maybe we can just understand what might be helpful to keep the same and what might be helpful to individualize. Um, mm-hmm. so that can be helpful. I just want to add one other thing about that. When we don't dial our strengths up or down when we need to, we often get burned out. So something like individualization, uh, it's great, but you can also burn yourself out on trying to tailor to each person, you know, think of having a dinner party and you have 10 people, one's vegetarian, one's gluten-free, one keeps kosher. You know, I mean, you've got people with all these individual needs you would be exhausted by the end of that dinner party if you were trying to cater to each and every person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. that's what that strength does in the world. So it's about learning to say, right. all right, where, where can I reserve some of this energy for myself? And then where can I share this with others? Yeah. Yeah. You that mentioned- you mentioned that um, maybe sometimes
3: someone with a, with their individualization strength turned up or dialed up and someone with like their consistency strength dialed up, maybe that can cause friction. What about if um, two people have the same strength, like two individualizations? Is there sometimes there can be friction there?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, What's interesting when I do workshops is I put people in pairs where they're talking to somebody else about their strengths, and sometimes (laughs) they have the same strength, and they can talk about how it looks similarly or how it looks different depending on Mm. what their other strengths are. Um, So yeah, there definitely can be friction in some ways because people might have a different underlying value, and so how they use that strength in the world might actually look very different. Um, and sometimes it's just the collection of other strengths that people have. So, for example, there's one strength that's called input. It's a strategic thinking mm-hmm. strength. Um, it, it can look like being a hoarder. Um, mm-hmm. input like <laughs> things. Um, it, my dad has input as one of his top strengths, and his house is filled with Jewish books and artwork, and I mean filled. Like, there's a lot of things <laughs> in there. And for some people, that looks actually like a, a physical manifestation of collecting things. For other people, that might look like uh, collecting um, information or tools or skills or strategies. Um, My dad is great at lots of things because he has a lot in his head. He has lots of strategic thinking strengths. Um, For other people, that might look like they have a a wide network of people. And in a sense, they collect people. They know what people are good at. They're very resourceful. Um, So depending on what their strengths are, they operationalize them in different ways based on what those other ones are. Um, Sometimes that can cause friction. Oftentimes there's a common understanding of, oh, I see that in you. I do that too just with this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I'd say about that is it's really helpful when people are aware of their strengths, when they know what they are and they know the balconies, the high points of them, and the basements, the low points. Um, because if you aren't aware of those things, it's like walking around with a hammer and just whacking at things. Cause you're just not mm-hmm. aware of the tools that you have. So a lot of times there is less friction with people who are more self-aware, regardless of what their strengths are, if they're similar or if they're different. Um, the self-awareness piece really makes all the difference. You have an art studio in your basement and you even host art parties. How do you use
3: art as part of your work with people? Um, I'm sure you've seen people unlock parts of themselves they didn't even realize were there. And do you have an interesting story to share about someone
2: finding a hidden part of themselves through art? Great question. Um, So I will say that this is my 10-year-old, like my inner 10-year-old's dream space. Um, When I first put this space together, I would just sit down here and just look around at all the stuff. Um, I have a big whiteboard, so when I work with teams, this is also my training space, but it's an art studio too, depending on what I'm doing with people. Um, We can write on the board. Um, My inner 10-year-old put paper on the walls so I could write on the walls, and now (laughs) my 41-year-old self can do that, so it's a dream space in so many ways. Um, I have a lot of different materials, so I have paints and markers and all kinds of stuff like that, but I have a lot of collage stuff because... Honestly, um, I'm not super into drawing and painting. I like taking different things and putting them together and seeing what happens. Um, For me, art is the biggest play space there is. I have usually no goal when I sit down to make artwork. I'm just putting some stuff together and I'll see what happens. I do find when I sit down to create something in particular that I'm usually not super thrilled with it. So I tend to take that same approach when I teach art workshops for people, which is, hey, it's open studio time. We're just here to play. Um, There's not necessarily a goal in mind that we're trying to do. Um, I have done some vision board workshops with people. And uh, the first ones I taught were at the end of last year and at the beginning of 2020. Um, (laughs) And people really love their uh, vision board workshops. My daughter – did one. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it says travel the world and there's a Delta airplane and a globe. And I'm like, well, that didn't quite happen, but I like it. The spirit. Um, a couple of the people at the vision board workshop last year said it was a really transformational experience for them because they hadn't been able to just play. There's something that comes out when you're sitting yeah. and making art with people that Wow. unlocks things. There was one woman who was in my workshop last year. Um, she works in a career where she does a lot of mathy kinds of stuff and she says, I'm not creative. Her piece was so gorgeous and it was about moving from darkness into light. Um, and she actually had a really transformative year last year. And she said that that actually came from the vision board workshop, which was oh, wow. amazing to me. Um, yeah. Who knows? Awesome. Um, the other thing I would say is, Well, let me say something else on that. Um, So I've been thinking for this year, instead of doing a vision board workshop, because the world is still upside down, I, in good faith, don't feel like I should be doing a vision board workshop. Um, I've been thinking about doing a joy board workshop where it's a focus on what brings you joy. So I've been thinking about that for myself. And it's just, it's come back to singing, which is, I just need to continue investing in my growth as a singer because it brings me so much joy. I get good messages from the world about singing. Um, that was a helpful kind of reframe on an artistic focused project. Um, the the other story I would tell, there was a woman at my synagogue a couple years ago, I was doing a art retreat and really it was just open studio. I brought a bunch of materials and people could make whatever they wanted. And like most open studio nights, I'm there to help you put it together, but that's kind of it. I don't, I'm not directing anything. And there was a woman, Andrea, um, who was 70 and somebody said, You should go over and talk to Andrea. She was totally on the periphery, not anywhere near the art stuff. And I said, so someone said I should come and talk to you. And I didn't know her at all. We didn't know each other. And she's like, oh, I don't do art. (laughs) And I said, can you say more about that? And she said, well, when I was in second grade, my teacher told me I was a terrible artist. Mm. And so I just don't do art because she told me I wasn't good at that. And I said, well, do you want to play? And she's like, I mean, I could play. And I said, okay, come with me. So I I took her hand and I said, here's the art table. Tell me what looks interesting to you on the table. And so she picked out a couple things and we collected them. And I brought her over to sit at a table. And I was like, all right, so here's how you put this together. Here's a foam brush. Here's a jar of Mod Podge. It's a sticky stuff that kind of helps glue Mm -hmm. things together. So-and-so down at the table is going to show you how to use it. Enjoy the feel of the foam brush on the block and just see what happens. So I left, I came back a few minutes later and she was like, this is so fun. This is so relaxing, just painting and seeing how this feels. And I came back, you know, about 20, 30 minutes later and she'd made this piece and it's a, it's a simple piece. There's not a ton happening in it, but she said, this experience brought me so much joy. And I didn't know that I could experience that through art. That's always been a place of stress, stress and shame for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have been friends ever since. I just love her. And Aww. it came from that experience of just, just play. We're just going to play. We're not attached to any outcome. Um, sometimes I do work with teams, and we've done some work with art and strengths. So people have created pieces that represent their strengths in action. Um, and that's also been interesting to see how people bond over art when they never do art together. Um, CDC teams, Emory teams that, you know, that's not what they spend their time yeah. doing. And I think there's a lot of connection in seeing what someone else creates. And that's exciting.
0: Going back to one of the things you had said was, you know, if you don't always understand who you are, you know, it feels like you can be walking through the world with a hammer and just kind of aimlessly whacking at things and kind of just seeing what what sticks. And I think that one of the things that I've appreciated um, from doing uh, Strengths Finders, another one, you know, popular one is the Enneagram, is that when you do these types of tools and workshops is you get to understand yourself better. And I, I have had moments through doing strength finders and Enneagram where I've had that moment where it's like, Oh gosh, this is, I, I never, I always knew I was like this, but I never put a name to it. Or I just, I, I finally feel understood about this, this quirk that I have or this thing that I do. Um, and I think that that's a, I think we all like to feel understood about ourselves. And I think that when we understand ourselves, uh, we can then be better for other people as well. And I I think that's one of the best indirect consequences of better understanding yourself, because you can then understand how to be better for other people or uh, relationally or business-wise or whatever that may be. And, uh, you know, one of the things, and you've kind of mentioned this in in a variety of different stories is, you know, some of your workshops are uh, for parents. Some of them are for people trying to transition to a new line of work. Some of them are for people who are 70 years old and uh, discovering that they actually like art. It sounds like there's a lot of different ways and and mechanisms to unlock these potentials with people, but could you give me just like a baseline understanding for the person who is interested in this on what a general session Strengths finding session would look like, um, and how you start to unlock some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, great question. Um, the first is that I want people to understand the foundation of where strengths comes from. Um, strengths and Enneagram have really different roots. And so understanding the philosophy and approach behind those things is really important. Um, so even just looking at strengths as what is this about? What is positive psychology? That's where it comes from. Um, the philosophy around strengths, which is I'm not trying to help you be someone you're not. I'm trying to help you deepen your connection to yourself and be more you. Um, so there's a, a lot we talk about. There's a model of a five-pointed star with a circle drawn around it. Mm-hmm. And we talk about um, most of the time people see those points as like, oh, that's great that you're good at those things. Um, but now we need to fill in the gaps so you can be more of a circle than a star. And that model really says we should be everything. And when you're trying to be everything, you're not actually good at anything and you're also exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. And where you want to circle is the intersection of a bunch of stars together. That's the collaboration. You find people who are different from you, just like you were both talking about, who can complement your strengths. That's You want well-rounded on a team, not in an individual. Um, so we talk about that approach and philosophy. And then we go through some different exercises where I'll introduce a concept, people spend some time writing, and then they get paired up and they talk with somebody else about them. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, magic that happens when people get to learn with and from each other. So I always build that kind of conversation into any workshop that I'm doing. Um, So we do a couple of rounds of that where people are learning a concept, thinking by themselves, and then talking about it. We always come back with time for questions. Um, and it depends on the length of the workshop. Sometimes I do a strengths speed dating um, activity, which basically is its oh <laughs> pretty fun um, where yeah. you have two minutes. It's obviously different on Zoom than if it's in person. Um, but on Zoom, I'll put people in rooms for two minutes where you meet another person, learn about one of their strengths, they learn about one of yours, and then you come back and then you're in a different room and mm. um, just because I think there's a lot of value in learning about the different strengths so that you can understand how unique you are and how yours Mm -hmm. really are different and special from other people's. Um, And, you know, like I said, it depends on the workshop. If it's a longer workshop, we uh, take a deeper dive on values. Um, But I always want to make sure people leave with a sense of how do you apply it? So depending Mm -hmm. on the workshop, we'll have a different application, whether that's parenting or getting a job or something like that.
1: Yeah, I know we really enjoyed, you know, when we did it with you. It was very eye-opening, I think, for all of us. Um and we even use it in our our staff meetings where we'll talk about, you know, what strength we felt that we were using more or less this week due, due to a specific situation or something. But um you mentioned and maybe this is kind of coming for a full circle on the whole conversation, but all of this kind of comes out from what you wish you had in your life earlier on and what you wish you had learned to be more successful. So so many of us kind of struggle to find who we truly are. And it may not be, you know, especially for me, I see this with my friends who are in their forties and fifties, where they're starting to kind of feel like they're stuck because they never really found who they were in the first place. And they may have stayed in a relationship longer than they, they should have, or they're in a job that really is not what they're passionate about. Um, So what if as a strength finders coach, what advice would you have given to your former 20 something self, So you could avoid these pitfalls and really thrive throughout life, not just, you know, different parts of it.
2: Such a good question. It's funny to think about how confident my 20-year-old self was, (laughs) sometimes more so than my 40-year-old self. Um, For me, if I had known my strengths then, I think I would have been able to work through some issues then that I am working through now. Um. I, one of my top strengths is woo, which is winning others over. And it's an influencing strength that allows me to build relationships quickly with people, um, that people feel liked, they feel valued, they feel, um, supported. Um, I always joke that it's what makes me, it's about 70% of what makes me good at my job because I teach a lot of workshops and do coaching and have to build a relationship mm-hmm. quickly. Um, but it's also 90% of my therapy sessions. <laughs> So what I mean by that is uh, it's a very people-pleasing strength. And so it's really hard for me sometimes to separate my voice from what I think I should be doing or what I think others think I should be doing. Um, and I do really have a good sense of myself, but um, I'm afraid of upsetting people Um no, that's
1: Mary Kathleen's
2: strength, by the way. Woo so my top
1: strength too. Yeah, so. you
2: know, <laughs> I understand. Yes, it's you know it's such a great strength, and I think it's one that people know me for. But um, it causes me a lot of problems. Do you feel that for yourself? I do.
3: I feel sometimes that if I don't have woo dialed all the way up, const- like people often are at, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? And it's like I feel great. I just like i am not on a level 1000 today. Cause I think woo is a very like forefront strength for a lot of people who have it. I think it's very rarely like a low strength. I just think it's a really noticeable. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like, it's sort of some, to some people it might be synonymous with like an extrovert or something like that. But I don't know.
2: Some, some days I'm not like just the woo girl, you know? Yeah. Woo is a very extroverted strength and it is very present. Um, And I think that that's also some of what I'd love to have gone back and told my 20-year-old self. I mean, Woo just has a hard time knowing when it's done its job and when it can chill out. Um, It's very worried about other people and how other people are doing. And it makes me a great hostess or a great um, trainer, (laughs) things like that. But man, it just doesn't know when to stop and when, when to say, you are <laughs> yeah. you are okay, you've done your job. I, yeah. I think that um, – or the times when I just kept working really hard to try to make something work, um, mm. whether that was a job or a relationship or something, I just really wanted to – I wanted to woo it to myself like I wanted to like it and it wasn't <laughs> yeah. no working. Um, and I, I wish like if I could go back, I would say to myself, Hey, that's not working, and that's okay. You can go do something yeah. else now. And I think that that I think that that would have freed me up to do a lot of things that just took me a little bit longer to do. Um, I also have activator as one of my strengths, which is um, fast forward moving energy. So when I say a lot longer, I don't actually mean that much, but like it took <laughs> me longer to make a decision that I was comfortable with. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so I I think that. Um, I'm still learning how to tame my woo. Um, I think that learning how to do that is probably a lifelong process. And if I had had language and concepts and words around it when I was younger, I I think I would live longer. I think I worry that I burned through some years of stress <laughs> by not fully really understanding how to use this strength well because it, it does expend a lot of energy as it goes. It's a great strength though. Yeah. I'm I'm very proud of my woo. And my grad students a couple of years ago got me a really cool mug that says woo on it because I use strengths with them. And I am proud of it, but I Yeah, I have to work with it well. And I think learning that earlier would have been good for me.
3: It's a really great perspective on it to kind of see the flip side because sometimes it's hard to see, like when you have a strength that you really like, it's hard to see that that's the one that is like causing you the most exhaustion sometimes. So that's a really great perspective.
2: Well, Um, can I add add one thing about a strength? Yeah. Um, So there's a strength that's positivity, that's a relationship building strength. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of my students, well, I have lots of students that have positivity, but a couple years ago we were sitting around and talking about the balconies, the high points, and the basements, the low points. So one of my students, Brandon, was talking about positivity and then he comes to the negative side, the basement, and he's like, there is no downside to positivity. And I was like, hey, let's talk after class. And I said, um, do, you, do you ever feel like someone is talking to you about something that's stressful for them and then you have a response to it and they kind of disconnect from you? Because I had seen this happen with this student. He's like, yeah, that actually happens a lot. And I said, what do you think is happening in that moment? And he said, I think I'm trying to tell them they should see the positive side of it. And I said, and what do you think that that person is actually needing in that situation? And he's like, oh, I think they just want somebody to sit down there in that hole with them. Mm. And I said, yeah, I think someone just wants you to yes. be present. Um, and I said, so positivity has a hard time with being present with negativity and, and negative emotions. Um, he was also telling me about an internship he had, which was a great opportunity. And I'm learning so much like it and people aren't very friendly, but it's so good for me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to stay there. Um, and I, I'm wondering if your positivity is keeping you from hearing your own voice in this situation. And yeah. he said, oh yeah, I just keep wanting to see the bright side. So anyway, it's just yeah. so helpful to understand all of those aspects of it. And when you're feeling stuck, check in with your strengths and see if one of them is holding you back.
3: Yeah. Um, I know when we had our um, workshop with you that I really learned a lot. And I feel like I've learned a lot just in this you know, mm-hmm. short discussion we've had today. Um, so I'm excited to tell everyone listening that you're offering um, $20 off your February strengths-based parenting
2: classes. So can you tell us a little bit about that and where people can find you? Yes. So... Uh, with this pandemic, I've started offering things online. So people from anywhere can join, which is really exciting. Um, I did a couple recently and we had people as far away as Minnesota who join, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Um, so it's an hour and a half long workshop and, um, I'm offering two of those in February and it's focused on strengths-based parenting. So for folks who've used strengths before, um, in the workplace this is actually a different application so we talk about what does it mean to use your strengths as a parent um especially in this pandemic what's been driving you nuts what's what's been feeding your soul um and how do you use your strengths to get the things done in your house or connect with people in the ways that you really want to so it's a quick workshop. Um, usually I like to do longer workshops, but that's just not really feasible and realistic for people. So I like to keep the groups really small, just eight people, um, so that we can really connect with each other. People have time to ask questions and things like that. Um, so those are on my website. It's uh, maventryconsulting.com. And people can go to the website and they can sign up. Um, and for the $20 off, they can just shoot me an email and I can give them that discount. Um, so my email address is Ariella, A-R-I-E-L-A at maventreeconsulting.com. And, uh, they can shoot me an email and I can get them connected with the class. Um, I'm also planning to do a couple other classes for strengths, um, for people of different ages. So if they check the website, they can see those offerings there too.
0: Well, we will also put that in the show notes. So people will be able to access that in the show notes as well. So, Absolutely. um, We sincerely appreciate your time, Ariella. Um, This is your services and the the knowledge and expertise you've given us has been something that has helped us. And like Lauren said, has been something that we have used pretty consistently over the past two years. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for all the information today. So uh, we look forward to chatting with you soon in the future as well. Maybe we'll get you back on uh, shortly here.
2: That sounds great. Thanks so much. It was really nice talking to all of you today too.
0: We just finished talking with Dr. Ariella Friedman. Um, you can find her information in our show notes to be able to look her up, email her, join one of her Strength Finders uh, workshops. Uh, she has been really helpful for us in our business and helping us understand ourselves, which definitely helps us understand each other more. And it's just been a, a really helpful tool for us. So we definitely have some more things to kind of unpack with that on how that sort of influences us individually and us as a business. So I think it'd be interesting to kind of dive into that from a team perspective. So I think we have some questions about that.
3: Yeah. So in a team, we know it's really important to have a staff with different strengths. Um, Why
1: don't you guys share some of your strengths? So we had talked about um, my individualization was one of them, but another one is context. And I see this a lot with just my interactions with not just patients, but friends and and people I know, where I want to know their backstory. I want to know where it all began, why you have these feelings about something. And if I can kind of understand that, then I can kind of unlock that potential to help you overcome whatever is maybe holding you back. But I love and, and just in general, I love learning genealogy. I love learning people where they grew up and their families. Just really getting to know them and building that relationship is, is really important. And so when I have patients and I create that relationship and understand where they're coming from, it helps me set goals for them to get to whatever you know they want, whether it's exercise or a healthier lifestyle. I can tap into their context and then set goals based off of that.
0: Uh, I would say for me and you know, what's interesting is probably, I think most healthcare providers have this strength or have needed to develop this strength of being a relator, um, to their clients, because that, that is something that helps you build rapport. Um, I think that, you know, you can have all the knowledge and expertise in the world, but unless you can actually connect with somebody and they feel understood and they feel that you've listened to them and they feel that, Oh, this person actually gets me. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you can't do that. Um, and I would say probably within the first phone call or first 15 minutes of a patient, uh, session, especially with PT here, we just spend time talking and kind of unpacking Mm -hmm. and, kind of figuring out what that person is all about so that you know, what's going to be the best thing that you can do as a provider to be adaptive, to help that person. Um, so there's a lot of probing, there's a lot of questioning, but then there's also just tell me about your family. Tell me about what gets you excited. and Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you like running. I, I run too. And then there's, there's a connection there. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, for, you know, how it kind of one of our core values is building honest relationships with open communication. Uh, and I think that being a relator gives you the ability to create an honest and true relationship with somebody, which is really vital to helping somebody overcome chronic pain or helping them understand that oh, this person knows about my athletic background is going to help me get back to competing again and whatever that is. So I think being a relator is is a really good skill um, in that. Uh, I would say, you know, if we wanted to, to take the the flip side of that is you know, sometimes being a relator in healthcare, you start to care too much um, mm-hmm. about people. And that can sometimes shroud your, your judgment when you've developed a relationship with somebody. Um, it can skew your objectivity because you see that person you really are, are willing to do, go above and beyond to help that person. Mm-hmm. Maybe that person doesn't want to, doesn't need your help, or maybe they need somebody else's help uh, at that time. And so uh, understanding um, I, I've had to learn how to dial that up and dial it down, mm-hmm. um, but being a relator is definitely something I think probably overwhelmingly helps in uh, healthcare for sure. Yeah, I couldn't point. agree more. Yeah.
3: I um I mentioned that Wu earlier was one of my doctor. Friedman and I share that. And I think that's helped me in customer service. I think when people call, like I can quickly, you know, sort of win them over. It stands for winning others over um, and not really in like a sales y way, just like um, I just enjoy chatting with people and hearing about them. Another one of my strengths, though, Lauren and I have in common, I have individualization as well. And I think ours differs in the sense that she wants to find out about people so she can help make them shine. And I want to find out what people need so I can help them. Like I'm very, mm-hmm. like Dr. Friedman mentioned, like it's, we was a very people pleasing strength. And I think my individualization is very people pleasing in that I like to be the helper. I like to get them what they need. I also, like you mentioned, I don't want to be like shining. I want to kind of be in the background and I like to just like help people get to where they want to go. And I like to know like plainly what they need. Um, so I think that's neat that we share that in common, but like she mentioned, like our other strengths also influence those so we can use them differently, which is important and great. And you and Jake share strengths in common. We
1: share context. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And you guys each sometimes use that differently, but I think Mm -hmm. it helps you with, like you said earlier, when you kind of share patients, when you have patients that see both of you, like it helps them feel comfortable with you both, but you're also like kind of using this power in a different way and they need it mm-hmm. both ways. So I think that's really neat.
1: Yeah totally. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and that's why it's nice sometimes when we do in our in our staff meetings talk about it, it because we again, like she was saying sometimes you don't have the words to go with how mm-hmm. you're feeling, but if you go yeah. back to who you are, you're like, oh yeah, that's why I'm feeling this way because yeah. I'm tuned up way too much and I mm-hmm. have to, to dial it back down.
3: Yeah, it's good to think about um, as like dials to think of like, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. well, maybe if I do this, it's going to help this one increase and it's going to help me get to my goal or, you know, uh, help me reach that value that I'm really struggling with or something like that. So it was kind of great to really talk about tuning them up and down today. I hadn't really thought of them in that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I guess that's a good segue for, so it's January and our focus has been on creating healthy habits that stick long after the month is over. You know, it, I always find it funny creating new year's resolutions. You know, when, when have you ever heard somebody talk about in October, man, my new year's resolution has gone really strong. Yeah. <laughs> and so what, one of the things that we did in preparation for January was back in November, we all said, all right, let's create a goal so that we can carry that into December and then carry that into the new year. So um, what's uh, and maybe it can be the goal that we set back then, but what are some habits that um, you guys have tried to implement um, moving into the new year?
3: Um, Well, I'll, I'll start. So one of my like biggest toxic habits that I'm trying to eliminate is that if I start something and it's like just for me, Um, If I get frustrated or I don't understand it, like I'll quickly give up. If I'm in a team environment, Mm -hmm. even if I get frustrated, I usually try to figure it out because I know people are like depending on me. But like a few years ago, I got a sewing machine for Christmas and um, I got on YouTube a couple of times and was trying so hard to figure it out. And like, I would just get so frustrated. And I was like, you know what? Screw this, whatever. Like, what does it matter? I don't need to know how to sew. Um, And I forgot, like, I wanted to learn how to sew like a need, like, sure, I can go out and buy clothes or, you know, I can go get things tailored or whatever. But like, I wanted to know how. Um, and I was thinking about it the other day cause I was cleaning some stuff up and I found that sewing machine and I was like, I wish I could just take this sewing machine somewhere and have someone teach me how to use it. And I was like, you idiot, you can do that. Like get on Google <laughs> and find sewing classes, you <laughs> moron. So I got on Google and I found sewing classes near me. It's, I can take a private sewing class with this woman and I just bring my, sewing machine and she's going to teach me how to use it. I don't have to bring anything else. It's two hours. Um, It's supporting a local business. It's supporting a woman owned business, which are like things that I want to do more in 2021 as well. So mine isn't so much about forming a new healthy habit. It's about eliminating this one toxic habit where I just like quit things because Mm -hmm. I get frustrated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mary Kathleen, you did not know this, but you could have just asked me. Your boy has a sewing machine and <laughs> sews on the reg. Dang. Oh,
1: my well, God. I was, I was I, telling now, him that, that my husband, Kevin, has a sewing machine, too. I was telling her that. I said, you had people at your disposal. You should have oh asked.
0: So in college, because I was super poor and I would buy clothes, but because I'm tall and shaped like Gumby, None of my clothes would fit, so yeah. I literally just bought a sewing machine off of eBay, and I would tailor up my own clothes. They looked—I mean, if you looked at the stitch, it was horrible. But how did, how did you, you learn how to use
3: the dang machine? I can't even thread the stupid thing.
0: You probably have a much more complicated machine than I have. I've got yeah. this old little Brother uh, sewing machine that right. I just bought on eBay for like fifty bucks. But
1: well, we'll have to get together once I, even, I, I even even learn how.
0: I Maybe even that's made the
1: next my, team building. We all yeah, a little together. sewing party. Everybody
0: bring their sewing machine. I even made my mother's duvet cover. So
1: what? That's so good.
0: Go. Oh,
3: Jake. I love yeah. that. That's so awesome. Uh,
0: yeah, my kids are gonna have sick Halloween costumes <laughs> one
3: day. Yeah. Well, my neighbors are dying for me and Brian to put some curtains on our windows. Uh, so <laughs> that's gonna be the first thing I do. Yeah.
0: I'll, I'll come over and we'll we'll have a sewing party. I love it. Um, For me, one of my strengths is consistency, but that can also be a big weakness in the sense that it's hard to always be consistent in something. And when I'm personally not consistent, I can shame myself really bad about, gosh, why aren't you doing this? And why why aren't you, you know, you know, feeling guilty about on a Saturday, just sitting on the couch, you know? Um, And so I have had to sort of learn how to reframe that. And, you know, one of the goals for me was to get stronger. And so I started working with a coach and um, so kind of replacing consistency with accountability um, because I've learned that I can indirectly be more consistent when I just have a little bit more accountability built in Um, and that way it's not me who I am shaming. It's, it's saying, okay, well I'm paying this person, they're helping me. And so I'm probably going to be more successful in that. So in a roundabout way, that is sort of quelling that, uh, petting that, uh, need to be consistent through just accountability. So, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to, to backdoor it a little bit.
1: Yeah. And, and kind of piggybacking off that, um, one thing that I have learned about myself during COVID is I'm fiercely internally competitive with myself and Mm -hmm. it came to a head because I've always like worked out with people. I've gone to orange theory, which is really kind of a competition with, with everyone. And then COVID hit and I wasn't exercising with people as much. I was doing more on my own and I wasn't motivated. I didn't want to exercise. I, you know, had gained more weight than I had, you know, normally would. Um, I just felt I felt terrible. And I was so angry. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't motivated anymore. And then like you said, I was like, I need accountability. And I need somebody to report to. And so I hired a coach as well to program workouts. So I have that kind of internal competition of like, I have to, you know, respond that I, you know, on the app that I did the workout. And I'm so I'm competitive with myself, because I, the, the coach is making me move forward and progress my workouts and make them harder. So I have to make sure I do it and um, keep pushing myself. So it's my own internal competition because somebody is telling me I need to do it and I don't want to let them down. So just yeah. like you, Jake, like that's that has helped feed my need for competition. Um, and I feel better because I need that. I, I, I become like lazy and status quo if I don't have something that's driving me ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: Can you guys think of any like trends or
3: unhealthy habits that some of our patients maybe have that you're, you guys try to help them overcome that you think um, anyone listening, just some good advice for overcoming unhealthy habits here in 2021.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, we see this a lot with like, you know, I guess clients that come to us that say, I can't squat because my doctor told me that it's going to hurt my knees Mm -hmm. or I can't lift heavy because it's going to hurt my back pain. And my doctor told me that that's not good for my back Mm -hmm. because I had back surgery. And, and the fact of the matter is, is, is your injury was probably there long before it was a movement problem that happened and you started to create, you had pain because you weren't moving as optimally as you should. So you go to your doctor and your doctor guides your treatment. But the fact of the matter is, is that, um, a general practitioner or a surgeon or orthopedist, they don't know exercise and they don't know movement. That's not Mm -hmm. what they're trained to do. They're trained to fix your problem and then send you to a physical therapist. And so for them to say, you should never squat or you should never do this certain exercise. Like we need to start asking, like, where is that coming from? What's the basis of that? Do they really know what they're talking about? and that becomes a frustration for us because that holds people back because they are relying on their doctor's advice more than somebody who treats movement and pain more than the physician does. So my my question to them a lot of times is let's talk about like, you know, what type of patients do your doctors normally see? Like does your doctor normally see patients and do knee replacements on people that are older and have a lot of arthritis and maybe you're 25 and that's not you. So like him telling you not to squat is not really what they're, they're not looking at active people that want to get back to squatting and lifting heavy. So you just have to start thinking through some of the advice you're given and see if it really applies to you and then talk to your physical therapist. Um, And I know Jake, you see this all the time and we get frustrated (laughs) of these things holding people back.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, probably another one is not necessarily like the fault of the, Patient, right? A lot of these things actually aren't the fault of the, the person seeking the help. They sure. they have been ingrained into that person because this is where what somebody else did or what some some advice somebody else gave them. You know, another one is we see all the time is a lot of these passive treatments. You know, we if you go to most in-network providers. I know this is not a a bash in-network PTs, but a lot of times you will get, you know, you, it's very systematized. You show up, you get on the bike, they do a little bit of hands-on work, you do some exercises and then they put heat and stim on you. And heat and stim are great in the right application. But how many times have we had people come in and say, well, are you not going to do heat and stim? The other place did that. And, I'm always a little perplexed by that because it's like okay well if you went to the other place and that's all they were doing and you're still not better but you mm-hmm. want me to do that to you
3: yeah you know mm-hmm.
0: I, it feels good like yeah I would yeah. want it too like it feels mm-hmm. good but it's not gonna fix the problem right yeah um and so I think maybe one of my goals for this year is helping people understand that passive treatments have a place things yeah. like trying needling, things like, uh, heat, stem; those are really good modalities for a very specific thing at a very specific time. Um, and oftentimes as a PT, you want to help people. And so if that's what somebody expects and that's what somebody responds well with you, you might do those things. Um, but, the problem is when that becomes the the main source of treatment, because I've personally never seen that be a fix for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's maybe helped somebody get over the hump, uh, right. but it's never been something that eliminates the issue altogether. Mm-hmm. And so one of my goals is to be better about educating people on that and steering people uh, toward more active approaches. Um, so mm-hmm. that they feel more empowered to where they actually have the treatment. Because if it's eating, stim and dry and eating, like, that means you're reliant on somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And I never want somebody to feel reliant on me. Yeah. Um, I want them to feel like, okay, that person is really honest with me. They give me really good instruction. They give me really good feedback. They help me feel better. And they, mm-hmm. they empower me to do more for myself. So mm-hmm. I'm going to work on that this year um, and help mm-hmm. people kind of understand that a little bit better so that they can yeah. take control more.
1: Well, and, yeah. you know, just with talking about the education piece and what I was mentioning with the knee pain, it's, it's also educating people that their pain is real. Like they have pain in there yeah, yeah. that yeah. is real. Yeah. You know, we're not discrediting that, um, they don't have pain, but there are ways of modifying a movement or showing them different strategies to do a movement without pain. So yes, you have pain, totally. but there are other ways of doing it. So that would be again, the education piece of really coming to their level and helping them to take control of the pain and the movements that are holding them back. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Cool. Well, let's, uh, hit 2021 with, (laughs) uh, you know, resetting the clock a little bit, instilling healthy habits and, uh, working on our strengths a little bit more. So we thank everybody for listening, uh, and we'll see you next time.